This podcast is brought to you by its financial supporters on Patreon. Zach, Breck, Jed, Tom, Alex, Christine, Jeff, and William. Thank you for helping me to have these conversations and to create this content. Keep Talking exists to have conversations that might help to make a better society and a better culture. I believe that each guest has important information and stories to make public, and it's something that I want to share. Omar Kanat is the director of the Uyghur Human Rights Project and is the executive committee chairman of the World Uyghur Congress. During our conversation, Omar talks about his journey to the U.S., Uyghur history and culture, China's historic oppression of the Uyghur people, and the current Chinese genocide of the Uyghur people, which includes concentration camps, brainwashing, murder, rape, sterilization, and mass surveillance. This is a difficult topic to address, and it is incredible that what is happening to the Uyghur people is occurring in modern times. But it is, and it's important to know what a powerful one-party state is doing to a minority ethnic group. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Omar Kanat. All right, Omar. Well, um, I want to thank you for the time. And uh, I know you're a busy man. I know you travel a lot. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking. Uh, it's great to meet you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. My pleasure. Let's start at the beginning, as I like to do with all of my guests, related to what's bringing us to this conversation in the first place. I would love to get in as much detail as you would like to provide um, information about your story personally, of where you were born, what your upbringing was like. We can segue into different conversation topics that I know I want to get into later, but what's that story? What was your upbringing? Yeah. Yes, I was born in... Uh, Gulja city of East Turkestan, uh, the Chinese called Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region. And I, uh, until I, uh, my uh, nine years old, I, uh, I lived uh, in East Turkestan. My father, when I was born, of course, I can tell you, when I was born, my father was in jail because of his uh, political activities. He came out of the jail when I was uh, almost nine years old. And then uh, after a few months, uh, I can say, we uh, moved uh, to, uh, to Afghanistan. So actually, uh, that uh, one of our relatives, no, uh, relatives in Afghanistan did a great job to, to uh, get in touch with Afghan officials and uh, somehow he managed to uh, convinced uh, them to invite us uh, to move to Afghanistan, but it was not a journey that uh, we didn't take, uh, you know, an airplane to uh, travel to Afghanistan. It was uh, so we uh, uh, from Volja we uh, traveled to Urumqi, from Urumqi to Aksu, in uh, from Aksu to Kashgar, from Kashgar to Kas Tashkurgan, in in Tashkurgan. Uh, then we uh, uh, took, uh, you know, uh, horses, uh, uh, donkeys, uh, you know, to cross the border to Afghanistan. It was a long journey. Uh, it took almost one month until we reached 
to production. So uh, all uh, for uh, several weeks, uh, we haven't, uh, we didn't see any human being. You know, this uh, it was only uh, three families. You know, Fif uh, fifteen people. We were fifteen people, three families. Uh, then uh, we, so finally we. After a very difficult journey, very difficult, uh, you know, passing uh, uh, mountains full of snow and uh, it in uh, a lot of difficulties uh, crossing the uh, rivers, you know, we came to to Badakhshan and from Badakhshan to Kabul. A very, uh, I. I just uh, explain it in very uh, in short. <laughs> we came to uh, reached Kabul, and I lived in Kabul for uh, uh, in Afghanistan for uh, almost a, a eight years. Then after eight years, it was it was uh, 1971. So, uh, and then in 1979, this. Uh, you know, revolution in Afghanistan took place and uh, communists took over the control of the Afghan Afghanistan and then we had to, you know, <laughs> flee Afghanistan free once again from the uh, communists, uh, you know, Soviet Union then invaded Afghanistan. So we uh, fled Afghanistan and came to Iran uh, and from Iran to Turkey and I studied in Turkey. Uh, I lived in Turkey for uh, almost uh, uh, eight years. Uh, and uh, I started my uh, human rights activities, of course, uh, in Turkey when I was 19, 18 years old. Uh, I joined uh, a, a movement, uh, East Turkestan Uyghur movement uh, in, in, uh, in Turkey. And then uh, from uh, I moved from Turkey to Germany in 1988 to work for uh, as a as a broadcaster for Radio Liberty in Radio Free Europe. Uh, I lived in Germany for uh, almost nine years, and then in 1999. I moved to US uh, and uh, to work as a broadcaster at, at Radio Free Asia. So uh, of course, uh, we when I uh, during my stay in Germany, uh, I uh, uh, helped to found uh, establish the uh, East Turkestan the Union in Europe. It was the first Uyghur organization advocacy organization in Europe. And also, I co-founded uh, the World Uyghur Youth Congress in 1996 in Germany. Uh, and I, uh, uh, I was part of all uh, the organization which, was, uh, which were uh, founded uh, as, uh, in, in Europe as Uyghur organizations. And uh, in 1999, I came to U.S. and I have been living since then in the U.S. Yeah. yeah. So the whole my life was, you know, as a was a refugee life. You know, yeah. <laughs> I lived in different countries and uh, in different uh, uh, societies. So th this was a uh, this was a, a, a something that you know 
so therefore, I determined that we have to have our own. We have to live our, uh, in our own our in our own homeland because you know uh, I uh, suffered a lot because of this refugee life in many different countries in Afghanistan, in Iran, in Turkey, in those countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a hell of a journey. Um, I want to give some historical context here for American audience an American audience, and for yeah. an audience that is probably rather uninformed about the history of the Uyghur people. And you can also go into as much detail as you'd like about this, but when just to start from the basics, the question, who are the Uyghur people and where do they come from? How do you answer that? Yeah, Uyghurs are uh, a uh, Central Asian people. Uh, they have been living in their homeland, which we call East Turkestan for thousands of years. Uh, they are uh, a tur Turkic Muslim people, uh, and uh, they uh, have a rich history, culture, and tradition. Uh, and uh, they, uh, of course, the uh, Uyghurs built empires in 18th century, and uh, in, in, uh, 8th century, in uh, 1755, and uh, uh, they had uh, uh, also uh, a, uh, the most, uh, you know, the, uh, the one of the first uh, uh, Turkic people who, uh, you know, built cities and uh, a, a, a uh, uh, urban. Uh, life in, in, in East Turkestan. So they had uh, their cities like Turfan well, and uh, Karahoja and these cities they built in 8th centuries and 9th centuries. So uh, they have been living in, the, in East Turkestan for, as I said, for thousands of years. And uh, of course, in, ninth, uh, in uh, 1884, for the first time, the Chinese uh, Qing Dynasty you know, uh, occupied East Turkestan, but, uh, uh, but uh, uh, in 1933, they rise up, and in, in also in 1944, they established uh, two uh, independent republics in that uh, territory. One is East Turkestan Islamic Republic, the other is East Turkestan Republic. But in 1949, the Communist China, uh, in, uh, of course, in cooperation with the Soviet Union, crashed this uh, uh, Republic, East Turkestan Republic, which was uh, uh, established in 1944, and took over the control of the region. And since then, the Uyghurs have been living under the control of the uh, communist China. Hmm. I want to underline that point. So if I heard you correctly, there were stretches of time where these were autonomous people yeah. living, living in their own, their own independent republic. Yes. Yes, of course. In, uh, in, as I said, it was, of course, very short-lived uh, 
republics, 1933 and 1944. But they, uh, the Chinese uh, didn't have any uh, permanent control on this uh, land. You know, in we had uh, we have been in uh, you know. Uh, we had a relation with China, so China's uh, in the hist in history, sometimes uh, for one or twice occupied East Turkestan, but after the resistance of the local people, they retreat and they uh, East Turkestan lived, uh, you know, freely uh, free and uh, not under the uh, Chinese uh, control. It was not under the Chinese control for several. Hundred years, so they, this uh, permanent control was in, uh, I can say, in 1949, uh, because after that, although the uh, Uyghurs rise up uh, several times uh, uh, against the uh, communist China uh, to uh, to have their freedom back, but uh, but uh, all those you know, movements have been crushed and they are still living under Chinese uh, uh, control, uh, Chinese, uh, communist China's control. Uh, Chinese government, of course, uh, since the occupation of the East Turkestan, uh, pursued a policy of uh, assimilation of the Uyghur people and, uh, and uh, to, the, to try to, has been trying to destroy the Uyghur culture, Uyghur tradition, Uyghur language and Uyghur religion, which is Islam. So, uh, uh, and uh, I, I should say that uh, uh, mentioned that the Uyghurs uh, uh, converted uh, the whole Uyghur population to Islam in 10th century. And before that, they, uh, uh, they were uh, for sometimes uh, Buddhist, uh, Manis, uh, and also uh, some uh, Christianism was there, you know, Nestorian Christianism. But in, uh, and also shamanism, they had uh, several, you know, religion. But uh, in 10th century, early 10th century, they uh, embarrassed Islam. And uh, so most of them are Muslims. Uh, it, of course, the Chinese uh, government, as I said, the Chinese Communist uh, uh, government tried to destroy all uh, what uh, all the Uyghurs as a nation, as an ethnic, uh, distinct ethnic group, as a religious uh, group, and uh, they have been uh, pursuing a very systematic assimilation policy, uh, and they have uh, since their occupation of East Turkestan, they have transferred millions of Han Chinese from mainland China into East Turkestan to change the demographics of East Turkestan. Uh, uh, so in, when they uh, occupied East Turkestan in 1949, there were only uh, the 3% uh, of the population were Chinese. Most of them uh, were the, uh, you know, soldiers and uh, uh, Chinese uh, uh, officials, uh, employees of the Chinese, uh, uh, you know, government. But, uh, but uh, now it is almost uh, half of the population are Han Chinese because of this uh, uh, population transfer policy of the Chinese government. 
But uh, as I said, the Uyghurs ha- have a rich culture, history, and tradition. And they, as I said, they build uh, nation states in the past, empires. So therefore, they stick to their culture, their tradition. And uh, uh, China, Chinese government, uh, when, uh, government has not been able to, you know, to assimilate to your people uh, be, uh, uh, in spite of those, you know, forceful assimilation policies. But in, uh, of course, in uh, 2017, uh, everything has changed. It is a, a very turning point because Chinese government uh, decided uh, to forcefully, you know, uh, to assimilate the Uyghur people. They started an, an all-out war against the Uyghurs, against other Turkic Muslims in this uh, region, uh, to uh, just to get rid of them, to make them, you know, to just uh, eliminate their culture, destroy their, uh, you know, everything they have, and make them uh, and Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get into those details and the specifics of what has gone on since 2017. But I, I would love to also give some some time to te- to talk about the culture of the Uyghurs, right? The uh, the specifics of who these people are. You've already mentioned that they are a Muslim people that they had had their own autonomous land at various points. When you're asked about the Uyghur people and their culture, how do you respond to that? And how many people are we talking about here specifically in terms of the, the total population? Yes, uh, uh, the, according to the Chinese uh, official figures, there are um, uh, 12,700,000 Uyghurs in the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, the Chinese government officially called the region, uh, the, called the region. Uh, but uh, we call it uh, East Turkestan, of course. Uh, and also, there are about uh, a million Uyghurs in diaspora. Especially, yeah. we have a large diaspora in Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, in Turkey, and other Muslim uh, Middle Eastern countries, and as well as uh, Europe. You know, in every European country, there uh, there is a small Uyghur community. Uh, uh, so, uh, but uh, according to Uyghurs, you know, Uyghur, uh, Uyghur, of course, the uh, Chinese government has been trying always to show the po- Uyghur population less than the actual numbers, you know. Uh, but uh, according to Uyghurs, there are at least uh, um, 18 to 20 million Uyghurs live in East Turkestan. Yeah. Hmm. So we don't uh, believe the Chinese government's figures. So we uh, believe that uh, that is more than what the Chinese government uh, uh, announced. Yeah. The, we'll get into the, the current policies of, of what, what China has implemented in the past few years, but I want to talk about the, the history between 1949 and 2017. During that large chunk of time, you know, it, it, if I heard you correctly, it sounded like the Chinese government had already had always been interested in trying to assimilate the Uyghur people into the Chinese population. Before the 2017 point in time, 
had there been other era eras of time or other years of time where the Chinese had implemented coercive measures to try to force the Uyghur people into the Chinese population generally? Yes, it was the, uh, you know, during the Cultural Revolution, you know, they uh, just uh, tried to, you know, uh, to destroy everything the Uyghurs have, uh, the historical site, mosques, and traditions, Uyghur traditions were banned, you know, and even Uyghur uh, dressings, you know, Uyghur uh, clothes were banned, so the Uyghurs were forced to dress like Han uh, Chinese. So that was, that affected all uh, the uh, uh, people in China, of course, this cultural revolution, even Han Chinese themselves. But, uh, and uh, the mosques were all closed, uh, religious sites were closed, uh, religious practices were banned and during the cultural revolution. But after the cultural revolution, there was a, time of relative uh, uh, freedom uh, for the Uyghurs. So they, uh, the Chinese government, because they wanted to open their doors to the, to the West uh, in order to you know, encourage uh, the Western uh, West to, uh, uh, to invest in China. So therefore they uh, allowed the Uyghurs to reopen some of their mosques and there uh, have been some cultural uh, relatively cultural, you know, freedom. So they published uh, some his, their historical books. They allowed them to publish their historical books to uh, develop their culture and also language. But it uh, didn't last um, long. After 1990s, uh, they uh, again started to, you know, to restrict everything, restrict all the freedoms they uh, you know, gave to Uyghurs during uh, that short period of time uh, and uh, started this uh, uh, policy of uh, crackdown. And, and because of this, uh, after the uh, disintegration of the Soviet Union, they were very, uh, you know, worried uh, that the, uh, the Chinese leaders, that it will also affect, uh, will have some big impact on Uyghur population in East Turkestan, and they will also try to, you know, uh, to, uh, to create their own uh, state, like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan. Because uh, um, I should say that uh, this uh, large area, the Central Asian area, in the past, they, it called the uh, Turkestan. So the, the Turkic people called the western part of uh, e, Turkestan, which was occupied by, by uh, Russia, the Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and divided to several uh, republics. These uh, this part as West Turkestan, and the East Turkestan was this you know part which uh, occupied by uh, Chinese uh, Empire. So, so uh, but we have very. Uh, good uh, uh, relation and culture, very close cultural, linguistic, and religious relation with the uh, people in Central Asia. For example, Uyghurs uh, speak almost the same language with the Uzbeks. In how we can communicate with the Kyrgyz and Kazakhs without any, you know, interpret interpreter. So we uh, are uh, our culture is very close. Our 
language is very close, our tradition, everything. So therefore, uh, this, uh, you know, uh, this, uh, of course, China worried about this uh, because our brothers and sisters on the other side of the border became independent. So it, it gives some uh, hope for the Uyghurs that maybe we will also become an independent state. Uh, so therefore, China, uh, uh, you know, changed its policy very, uh, very quickly and then started to restrict everything and started to, to uh, uh, pursue a policy of repression uh, in the region because out of fear that they, will, may, they may use, lose this uh, area, this territory. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just answered this question, but how do you explain the Chinese response to East Turkestan and to the Uyghurs generally? You said, I think you just said that it was out of fear of their own potential independence, but yeah. the general, is it really that simple that that, that is how, you know, the majority of the explanation is really rooted in that fundamental fact that there it's a, it's a fear of losing that territory and losing power over such a large population? Yeah, no, uh, it, uh, of course, uh, uh, many, uh, because of China's, uh, uh, after this, you know, this integration of the Soviet Union, China uh, 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 launched a policy of go uh, to a West policy. This is also was a policy to, to assimilate uh, to uh, the Uyghur people, to get uh, 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 control of the region, you know, it is under their control. They, uh, you know, they strengthen their control because at that point they encouraged, uh, you know, the Han Chinese to move by hundreds of thousands to this region. Yeah. yeah to region. And, uh, uh, but uh, as I said, because, uh, in spite of those repressive policies, China has not been able to, you know, assimilate the Uyghur people to destroy their culture because they it was so strong, you know, and uh, so. Uh, and but they uh, they uh, wanted to get rid of the Uyghurs because they always uh, uh, consider Uyghurs as a potential threat to their, you know. Uh, their control in, in East Turkestan. But, but after uh, Xi Jinping, uh, it, this uh, policy became more repressive because uh, Xi Jinping in 2014, Xi Jinping visited the region, uh, Urumqi in Kashgar. Kashgar is the hub of the Uyghur culture and tradition. And uh, most of the people in Kashgar lives in a very traditional way. And uh, uh, most of them uh, cannot speak Chinese even, you know, they are, they, we, because we don't, uh, also I should say that we don't have anything in culturally, linguistically, traditional with, uh, with the Chinese, because we are part of the Central, we are more uh, part of Central Asia, you know. So when he uh, visited, according to the information uh, we uh, received, uh, so when he visited Kashgar, he saw a very different country 
then maybe the local uh, communist uh, leader officials reported to their you know superiors in Beijing that oh we have done our work in East Turkestan or in the Uyghur region so we uh, achieved a lot a lot and assimilate uh, most of these people maybe you know so, so when he visited uh, Kashgar he saw a very different picture uh, even uh, we have I, we, we don't know whether it is uh, true or not we received information that he told to the Chinese officials what you have uh, what have you done in 70 years to change these people yeah. Mm-hmm. Why the Uyghurs are still Uyghurs? He questioned the Chinese officials, you know, party officials. And he was very disappointed to see that, you know, uh, 70 years of Chinese assimilation policy uh, didn't have any effect in that region. Because uh, since 70 years, they have been uh, encouraging, uh, you know, Chinese, Han Chinese to marry Uyghurs. There are a lot of, you know, uh, benefits they offer to the Chinese or the Uyghurs if they uh, marry Han Chinese uh, Uyghurs who who can, uh, who marry Han Chinese or Han Chinese who marry Uyghurs. But it didn't happen. It was uh, almost zero in this, you know, mixed marriages. So he was very upset. And then, then he, uh, also, uh, as you know, he had up uh, this. He launched this uh, uh, one built uh, one road uh, policy, and the gateway of that pol- that uh, project is, is start from East uh, Turkestan, one from Kashgar, uh, and the one from the Wolja, one from North, one from South. So uh, from Kashgar all the way to Pakistan and Middle East. And from uh, in the Europe, and from the uh, uh, north, from uh, uh, Korgas, uh, all the way to Kazakhstan, Russia, and so this is something that uh, the China dream. You know, in order to realize China dream, so one belt the success of the one belt one road policy is very essential thing. And the, he he saw the Uyghurs may uh, be, uh, become a obstacle in realizing its you know uh, pa- the project you know, of a one belt one road project because strategically this east turkestan is very important as i said the gateway for the chinese uh, this uh, one belt one road project of the xi jinping and also all the pipelines you know uh, oil natural gas pipelines from Central Asia, from Turkmenistan, all uh, cross from East Turkestan and go to the mainland China. And also uh, East Turkestan is very rich in natural resources, in uh, in oil, in uh, natural gas, in in gold and all kinds of rare minerals it's very rich country so therefore uh, they want to use uh, you know uh, uh, that uh, richness to realize their dream and also the strategic location also to uh, it is very essential for their uh, for realizing their uh, china dream so therefore uh, they 
started to consider the Uyghurs as a as a potential threat to their, you know, this project, because uh, and because they think that the Western countries may uh, encourage Uyghurs to uh, to uh, rise up or uh, or uh, to try to create their own independent country and separate this region from China. So it is it is very a real, uh, you know, fear of the Chinese government. Uh, so therefore, they uh, they uh, uh, launched a policy of, as I said, you know, force assimilation. They, uh, uh, in 2017, the systematic assimilation policy, which has been uh, Chinese government has been pursuing for uh, 70 years, turned into force assimilation and. Uh, come to the uh, point of genocide yeah, yeah. now yeah. it is a genocide is on uh, going on in East Turkestan. yeah yeah I, I appreciate that thorough explanation there and uh, I want to get into those details um, and give you time to, to talk about what is going on currently um, one 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 question I did want to give you a time to also address and I know these are going to be stereotypes and generalizations but you know for people who have never been to that part of the world, don't know Uyghurs personally. How would you describe the Uyghur people generally? Oh, of course, it's my people. So they are very peaceful people, first of all. Uh, very gust-loving people. They love gust. They are, uh, they have, uh, you know, uh, they uh, want to, you know, uh, help everybody. They are so. Uh, uh, how can I describe this? You know, the honest people, uh, very uh, loyal people. Uh, to and uh, they are very, uh, or uh, also very strict to their to their to their culture, to their tradition, and they are a very a very rich music. They are. Uh, 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 humorful people, so they can, you know, yeah, they can, uh, you know, in very dark, very different situations, even, you know, they, uh, by uh, turning that, you know, uh, suffering, uh, they can turn that suffering into a, you know, happiness. So this is uh, very, uh, uh, very uh, lovely people. Yeah. Yeah. The the way in which you just described the rich the food, rich food. They have very rich food, rich music. Uh, Seventy two. Uh, I heard. I I'm not a uh, you know musician, but uh, I heard that uh, Uyghurs have seventy two kind of uh, musical instruments and very rich uh, music. Uh, they have very rich music, uh, very rich culture, tradition. So I uh, just, uh, we are talking about uh, planning, uh, uh, dreaming to, uh, to create a museum of uh, uh, Uyghur art, Uyghur, you know, uh, dresses, uh, because Uyghurs, for example, every, almost every village in Uyghur, uh, in Uyghur homeland has a different, you know, man and woman, children, different clothes, you know very uh, uh, colorful uh, 
dresses, very colorful, uh, you know. Uh, so it is uh, unbelievable, you know, if you bring that all those, you know, things together. So we are uh, planning to uh, to uh, create a, a uh, ex oh, first of all, to organize and uh, have an exhibition of Uyghur uh, tradition, Uyghur culture, uh, some uh, uh, music instruments, all these things to, to uh, introduce Uyghurs uh, for the uh, international community. Because China is destroying such a rich culture. So a part of the, it's a part of the uh, human, uh, uh, all human, uh, you know, created for the, the world civilization, this, uh, yeah. this tradition, this uh, uh, rich culture. China is destroying everything. Now, Uyghurs are banned to even to uh, dress uh, with their, uh, their you know, uh, traditional dresses. We are traditional dresses. And uh, Yes, we, as you said, we can talk it about, you know, the current situation. Uh, I can explain it when we talk about the current situation. And, and, and I'd like to transition into that. Um, you know, if I heard you correctly in your analysis of the shift, roughly speaking, from pre-2017 to 2017, as I understood your analysis, it sounded like the policies went from, you know, economic incentives and governmental incentives for integration to forced integration, roughly speaking. Um, and that it was, uh, you know, Xi's observation largely of the, you know, from his perspective, the unsuccessful integration of the Uyghur people into Chinese culture that triggered a lot of these changes. Is that a fair assessment from your perspective or is that, is there anything you would add to that? Uh, even economic, uh, so Uyghurs have been, you know, treated uh, as a second-class citizen, you know, even uh, from the very uh, be beginning. So it, there was not a, uh, of course, uh, they invested in uh, in this uh, Uyghur homeland a lot, and it developed a lot, and economically it developed, but this all this, uh, who benefited uh, from that? The Han Chinese, mm. the, from these you know buildings that you see, you know you, you, can, you now you will see the Urumqi as a very uh, uh, developed, advanced uh, Western cities. But uh, who lives in those you know uh, high uh, uh, buildings? All Han Chinese. There is no Uyghurs. They uh, economically, uh, China, although China. Uh, uh, all Chinese, Chinese, Han Chinese benefited from the economic, you know, uh, development of China. But Uyghurs were, you know, uh, sidelined, and they uh, were not able to benefit from this uh, economic uh, uh, development, uh, economic improvement as much as Han, Han Chinese. So they. Uh, they live uh, in still. They live in poverty, which is uh, unbelievable in this age. You know, they we would live in that situation, and they uh, uh, and uh, their lands. Their uh, uh, they, most of the Uyghurs are farmers, so all their lands were confiscated by the Chinese, and the Chinese government gave that land to the new uh, 
Chinese settlers who uh, emigrated from Han China, from mainland China to East Turkestan. So this this policy of you know uh, discrimination has been going on in all sphere of the life, economic, social, and uh, you know political. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of discrimination had been occurring far before 2017. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that that shift and what happened, what has happened since 2017. I guess my first question would be why 2017, right? Why why did these changes occur in that in that year versus some other time? Was there something specific about two, 2017, 2017 that made these changes more palatable to the Chinese leadership? How do you explain that, that shift? Yes, uh, uh, it was in the planning for many years, this, uh, this policy, because I think uh, in nine, uh, 2009, there was an unrest in Urumqi. Uh, hundreds of uh, people died. Uh, because uh, this, uh, the reason, uh, the cause of this unrest was the killing of the Uyghur uh, workers in a uh, in a factory in uh, in mainland China in Guangdong uh, province uh, by a Chinese mob. Uh, so and then Uyghurs uh, in in Urumqi in other cities uh, try to uh, protest that you know killing of the Uyghur innocent Uyghur workers. Because Chinese government didn't take, uh, didn't took at that time uh, any action to uh, to uh, didn't take any action to uh, persecute uh, the perpetrators of that you know that mob attack. Uh, so uh, this uh, it was a peaceful demonstration, but this peaceful demonstrations because of this uh, brutal treatment of the uh, uh, Chinese police turned into bloody incident. And some Uyghurs then attacked Han Chinese, and then uh, Han Chinese attacked Uyghurs. And this uh, was a, uh, uh, a turning point, because at that point, I think the Chinese government uh, realized that its policy, because uh, since uh, uh, that uh, 2009 Chinese government has been uh, telling the world that the all ethnic groups in in Uyghur uh, homeland in Xinjiang Uyghur autonomous region living in uh, a harmonious life but this uh, incident showed that the this policy Chinese uh, policy failed in that region and they tried to uh, solve uh, that we were uh, this was a final solution you know they uh, they t- decided at that point so what to do with the Uyghurs they said uh, they decided uh, we have to do something to to forcefully assimilate this you know ethnic group uh, group we would uh, because and then eliminate this threat uh, from uh, eliminate this threat so therefore, they uh, they prepared for that for for a few years. You know, it, they couldn't uh, uh, implement that policy immediately. Uh, 
so they, they uh, prepared for that. And that in 2016, uh, uh, Xi Jinping, uh, as I said, 14, 2014, Xi Jinping visited uh, uh, Uyghur homeland in, in Kashgar. He gave a speech that was very, very, uh, you know, warning speech, you know, to uh, security uh, border guards of the China. So they, uh, so he gave a speech that uh, sounded that uh, they are, uh, you know, fighting against a foreign uh, invasion, you know, that, uh, that uh, in East Turkestan. So this was, uh, a, so uh, then uh, uh, this trip uh, also uh, was very important. And then uh, 2017, uh, uh, Xi Jinping appointed uh, Qin Chang'e, uh, the current party secretary of uh, uh, the uh, Xinjiang Uyghur, uh, Uyghur uh, region, uh, as uh, uh, he was a party secretary in Tibet, you know. At, in Tibet, he uh, uh, pursued uh, such a policy of repressive policy that uh, almost silenced the, the uh, dissent in Tibet. You know, he managed to silence it uh, by, by brutal means, you know, for example. Uh, at that time, uh, uh, some uh, Tibetans uh, out to, uh, to protest Chinese policies immolated uh, uh, themselves. You know this. You know, uh, yeah. But what happened is uh, the uh, the uh, this uh, this party secretary uh, Qin Chang'e uh, by uh, punishing all the villages if they a person that it did that, you know, self-immolation. If he, he is from a uh, village, he uh, didn't only uh, punish the relatives or uh, parents or uh, brothers and sisters of this person, he uh, started to punish the whole village. And then because of this repressive, you know, policy, uh, people, uh, you know, even people from the village also, you know, uh, uh, prevented uh, people, you know, who wanted to self-immolate. Uh, so this is, uh, uh, so he was a, such a brutal uh, 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 ruler in Tibet. So he, he, Xi Jinping appointed him as the party secretary of the uh, uh, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, East Turkestan. And uh, the Chinese leadership gave him full, you know, authority. Do whatever you you can do, just destroy the Uyghurs, just eliminate this threat. And he then he started uh, to uh, to uh, uh, round up people, uh, they build uh, concentration camps, and started to uh, round out the people uh, with. Uh, from the streets, you know, from the villages, and started to put the Uyghur, uh, Uyghurs in the in the camp. You know, it doesn't didn't matter whether he's old, he's young, he's uh, uh, ill, he's sick. So, just uh, whoever is Uyghur, it is you know, uh, he should be uh, you know put in the concentration camp. So. Uh, 
this was the uh, start of that you know very uh, brutal policy and he uh, uh, first targeted the religious people and in all the people who uh, you know even uh, government appointed you know religious uh, officials including religious officials were uh, detained and put in the camps and later uh, they uh, started to detain the people who uh, you know uh, prayed uh, or attended uh, praying in mosques and then uh, slowly it comes to uyghur uh, businessmen and the uyghur intellectuals so uh, everybody uh, who is uyghur so uyghur being uyghur became a you know uh, a crime so this uh, being uyghur being a muslim uh, be, uh, became a crime so uh, without uh, any reason without any uh, uh, committing any crime uh, millions of Uyghurs are now living, uh, still being kept in these concentration camps. Yeah. You said this just a minute ago that the these crackdowns began with the religious, the more religious of the community. That was where it started. But then that the repression grew into other other segments of the society and you know for i have seen some documentaries from that have been i i think smuggled out of mm. that part of the world because they're obviously i think part of what china is trying to do is suppress information exchange and to try to limit the world's access to what is really going on in that area i'd love for you to speak about what happens there when people are taken in by the government you know i think to a western audience when when we hear stories like this obviously the first Im the first images that come to mind are what happened in europe in the 40s and people being rounded up and put into camps and you know you can fill in the details however you would like but what what does are people is there a knock on the door and Chinese officials take a specific person out of the home and send them to a camp a few miles down the road? What's the typical way in which a Uyghur individual is, um, is obtained by, is detained by the Chinese authorities and then sent into camps? How does that actually happen? Yeah, this is uh, very uh, interesting. So uh, some, uh, in some cases, uh, intellectuals, for example, uh, I heard from many who called uh, to a uh, you know uh, to a police station, and then uh, disappeared from that. So most of them were taken uh, intellectual from their workplace, as I heard. So first they, uh, uh, but for the ordinary people, for the especially for the farmers, for the businessmen. They were uh, called to the police station, and then, uh, or uh, the uh, people went to their homes and uh, without any reason. So they said, "Oh, you have to come with us," uh, and they didn't say what they have done. They didn't say what they have uh, 
committed what they have uh, committed, uh, but they just uh, took them from their homes. Uh, and uh, then uh, this was uh, this was uh, the procedure. Then disappeared. Uh, you know, uh, the uh, family members are not able to uh, or not uh, have not been able to get any information. So if you go to the police station and ask for your loved ones, then you are also in danger. You will be taken into the you know, camp. You know, this uh, this was uh, uh, very uh, brutal, and uh, then. And they, um, in most cases, both uh, parents, you know, uh, wife and husband were taken away by the Chinese government and the children left alone. And then the children were taken to, uh, you know, actually to children's concentration camp, which the Chinese government called, you know, uh, boarding schools and something. Uh, but uh, uh, this is a tragedy, especially a separation of the families is a very big tragedy. We are very concerned what will happen because uh, according to many uh, researchers, about 800,000 children were taken away from their family, separated from their family and put uh, in uh, boarding schools. And in most cases, they are... Uh, uh, Almost all cases, I can say, the names of all those children have been changed. They are not using anymore the Muslim names because, uh, as you know, certain Muslim names are banned in China. Chinese government banned certain Muslim names, which is very common among the Uyghurs. So these common Uyghur names was banned. So therefore, in, in school, they, uh, in this board, so-called boarding schools, they changed their names. And they, they uh, are not allowed to speak Uyghur. Uh, they are dressed with the traditional uh, Chinese dresses. You know, even it is not in common in China. It's not you know in mainland China. The mainland China they don't use that. You know, they laugh when the Han Chinese see these pictures of the Uyghur schools, boarding schools. They laugh. Wow, what is this? You know, and they forced to. Uh, greet the people with the very traditional Chinese way. So you know, this is not uh, a, a, anymore. They, nobody uh, do that in that way. So, but uh, this is the case. So, and uh, they are not allowed to uh, contact their family members. Some, most of the family members are in concentration camps. So what will happen to them in, after five years, you know, when they came out of the camp? And even if their parents came out alive from the camps, they were not able to find their uh, children. They were not able to join their children. And maybe they will, their children will be brainwashed until then. Maybe they will come out of the camp and hate their parents. You know, This is what the Chinese government wants to do. Yeah. So destroying, you know, and uh, uh, this uh, nation, the Uyghur nation. This, uh, to destroy everything they have. So they have already uh, done the damage, you know, the damage has done. So uh, so uh, the international community, we think, uh, I think, you know, very, uh, you know, slow and very, it's uh, very late, you know, they, it's past time to take action to stop China from, you know, uh, he, China, it, everything is now, uh, 
nobody can say that we don't know, we didn't know. You know everything is now, uh, all evidence are there. Everybody knows what's happening. Press already reported about that international media, you know, uh, about what's happening in uh, uh, researchers already, you know, provided their, uh, you know, result of the research what is going on. But, but still, uh, international community is not uh, ready to take uh, action, enough action. There are some, you know, actions, there are some movements, there are some condemnations, but uh, there is not, there has not been a coordinated international action to stop China you know, yeah. from this genocide. I would just say, as a, as an American as well, it, 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 there is something about this that feels um, like the like our country is um, ineffectual. That there's a lack of capability and power to be able to halt something like this from happening in the first place. That we're too compromised in our ties to China to be able to have the leverage to stop something like this, and all of the American school children that I knew growing up were raised in history classes, learning about these atrocious moments in history where things like this happened and that we were on the side of the angels and that that was part of what it meant to be an American um, was to try to prevent this. And I want to, I want to get for the people who watch and listen to this, I'd love for them to get a visual picture in as much detail as you know about, what what it's like for an individual who actually is detained and actually is sent to one of these concentration camps what what that looks like um what what do we know about the concentration camps what go what goes on there uh is it akin to a prison how do you how would you describe what a day-to-day life would be like for someone who is going to one of these re-education camps so yes uh uh, it is very difficult, of course, first of all, to get uh, information what's happening in the region. But uh, luckily, we have some survivors. Uh, miraculously, these survivors came out of the camp and, uh, you know, testified uh, and uh, told us what they gone through, you know, in these concentration, went through in this concentration camp. So... Uh, and why, miraculously, uh, I said, because they, they had some foreign connections, these uh, survivors. For example, one survivor was married to an Egyptian man. So therefore, the Egyptian government, uh, you know, uh, interfered. And uh, so they released in condition that she will, you know, uh, not expose anything what she went through in these camps. And one uh, other way, have, uh, we have almost uh, around 10 or 9 survivors. All of them had some foreign connections or were, uh, had a foreign uh, citizenship. Uh, so therefore, Chinese government had to release them. So they came out of the camp and told the world what uh, they went through in these camps. So according to what we learned is, the, first of all, if you are a um, uh, Uyghur, when you go into the concentration camp, 
first of all, the Chinese, uh, the, you have to condemn, renounce uh, your, your own religion and culture. And uh, most of the case, they say, there is no God. First of all, you have to learn this. There is no God. I don't believe in God. I believe in the Communist Party. Yeah, you have to say this. And then, uh, then uh, you have to, you, can, uh, you are not allowed to speak your language. And, uh, and uh, there are a lot of, uh, you know, women who came out of the camp. Uh, they uh, uh, explained uh, to the world what happened. So there are, they are, uh, they are uh, be, uh, tortured, raped. You know. Rape is a common uh, thing in, in these camps. Yeah. Especially we were women, we were uh, women, uh, they, uh, told their stories, how they have been uh, raped by the uh, guards, by the Chinese officials. And also they, uh, in some cases, uh, they, uh, uh, so uh, food, uh, there is not enough food, there is, uh, you know, not, not enough uh, to drink, uh, you, they are not allowed you to uh, uh, sleep, uh, so there is sleep deprivation, uh, so uh, every kind of, you know, torture you feel. So they are uh, just, uh, uh, sometimes they even uh, use the Uyghurs, uh, some Uyghurs, if you, uh, you know, don't listen to them, whatever, uh, you didn't do anything, whatever they wanted you to do, just kill you. you know? This is, uh, we have many cases that the bodies of the uh, people were uh, given to their families. And they say, oh, he killed himself or he uh, had a heart attack, this is very common. So, and then you are not allowed to touch the body. They bring the body uh, wrapped in uh, white sheets and under the uh, Chinese police, you know, supervision, only two or three members of the family will take part in the, uh, this uh, burying uh, uh, of the body. So nobody uh, uh, is allowed to touch this uh, body because uh, then you will see what, uh, what is uh, the, uh, the sign of the torture in the body. In some cases, even the, the blood uh, came out of this white sheets. You can see the blood, you know, so what happened. So you cannot tell anyone what happened. So you have to go uh, under the supervision of the Chinese police and bury your loved one. So this is uh, even, um, and there are a lot of, uh, even old people, as uh, people as, uh, you know, old as 90 years old, over 90, you know, people are, are being kept in the concentration camp. And we have some cases that these old, very, uh, even religious people, very old, famous people died in, in custody. So this is, uh, uh, it is an horror. It's a hell, you know, for the, what they explain to us. And this uh, woman, in order to uh, uh, prevent their birth, they are, uh, the women are given a, a special, uh, you know, medications. So they don't know what it is. Your blood are being drawn. So uh, every day they are, are being given uh, very special, you know, uh, 
drugs that they don't know what it is. So this is, uh, we have, you know, um, uh, this, uh, witness testimonies, uh, that we have uh, people, uh, to, this is what the, you know, people who came out of the camp told us what's happening. You are shackled, you know, and, uh, handcuffed, uh, you're sitting. Uh, so, and then, uh, 24 hour, uh, Chinese propaganda. And it is very important. Most of the people, Uyghurs, don't speak Chinese. And you have to speak in Chinese. They gave, uh, gave you some uh, uh, documents to uh, memorize it in, in Chinese. It is in Chinese. You have to do it in Chinese. If you don't do it in Chinese, then you will be, you know, punished, beaten, you know, severely. That happened to the uh, few of these women as well. So the old people, they cannot speak. And then there are a lot of suicides in the, in the camp because they cannot, you know, uh, they don't uh, know Chinese. They cannot memorize that document. So they are out of fear that next day they will be, uh, you know, uh, beaten or punished. Uh, they uh, committed suicide. This is uh, happening. This is what is happening. We have some many cases of suicide that's uh, documented. Yeah. The um, I would love if you happen to know the names of the people who have escaped, who have detailed what what has happened. I would love to include that in the show notes for the episode, so people can look them up. Do you happen to know what their names are? Yes. Yes. Uh, one of the women is uh, who married to Egyptian man and had uh, uh, and uh, rescued by actually by his husband in Egyptian government was. Mihrigul Tursun. The other one is uh, Zumrat Dawood. She married to a Pakistani man. She's in the U.S. now. Hmm. And the other is, uh, uh, this is this is woman, Zumrat Dawood. And uh, the other man is Umar Bikali. He's a half Kazakh, half Uyghur. And he, uh, she, he was a, a Kazakhstan citizen. He had a Kazakhstan citizenship as well. And uh, there is uh, another woman, Tursnay uh, Zaudun. So he, she married uh, to a Kazakh citizen. He, he was a Kazakh citizen. So the, uh, uh, in, uh, there is a, uh, another Gulbahar uh, Jalalova. Uh, she was a Kazakh citizen. She didn't have anything to do uh, with, you know, she didn't, uh, was not a uh, Chinese citizen, but she was a Kazakh citizen. But because he, she was a Uyghur, they just, you know, put them all, put her also in the con uh, concentration camp. Uh, and uh, so these are the people uh, which uh, miraculously uh, managed to get out of the camp and told the world what was really happening. And there are also some Kazakh uh, Gulzira. Uh, she's now in the U.S. And she is also one of the survivors of the camp. She is in the U.S. Now, Mihir Gul Tursun, Zumrat Tawud, and Gulzira are in the U.S. Umar Bikali, and uh, Gulbahar Jalalova are in uh, in Europe, and there is also 
Kalbunur Siddiq, there is another uh, woman, uh, uh, she's an Uzbek woman, Uyghur woman, Uzbek Uyghur woman, uh, and also Gulbahar uh, Khatiwaji, also in, in France. So these people had connection with this, you know, foreign countries. And uh, because, uh, for example, Gulbahar Khatiwaji, her husband was in, the, in France, you know, and uh, because of that, you know, she was able to get out of the camp. But all of these people uh, were, uh, uh, you know, by the Chinese government, they, uh, before they uh, could leave, uh, Chinese government also told them that uh, they will uh, not uh, expose what they have uh, seen. So they uh, uh, signed certain papers and they were allowed. But, uh, but they, these people also, you know, risk uh, a lot of things to expose this, uh, you know, brutality, what is happening in the camps. Because after they exposed, they spoke up, then their relatives were punished. You know, and uh, all of them taken into the camp. And some of them died in the camp, you know, after this, you know. For example, this uh, uh, Umar Bikali's father died in the camp. And also Zumrat, fa Zumrat Daud's father died. And uh, so, uh, in some of the relatives were forced to uh, to show up on TV and condemn uh, their uh, their uh, daughters or their husbands. Or, oh, they are lying! So it's not we are living in a very you know, prosperous uh, and we uh, this what she said uh, is a lie. I'm I uh, I. Uh, the Chinese government is taking care of us and we are very happy for what the Chinese government is doing. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a classic communist coercion in terms of what they're, how, how they are uh, treating their family members and doing forced testimony. What I know, I know the conversation is, is winding down. We've got, we've got a little bit of time left and, I'd love to put this in in context to some degree of, you know, you mentioned the millions and millions of Uyghurs who are living in that part of the world. What percent, if we know, what what percentage of them are living in this hell, are living in this reality right now? Do we have any rough estimation as to what those numbers are looking like? No, we. Uh, so according to uh, to Western uh, experts or government officials' estimates. Uh, there are about uh, uh, 1.8 to 3 million people are in concentration camps, being kept in concentration camps. And there are hundreds of thousands of people are in, uh, in, in the prison. You know. uh, and uh, also, now what Chinese government is uh, doing is putting um, many uh, millions of others, they are... Uh, uh, they say that we release them from the camp, but they put them in the in the uh, forced labor, you know, in factories that was uh, you know uh, uh, instructed or that the factories that were built inside the camps or in vicinity or the camps or now they are using as uh, uh, these people as you know for forced labor, you know, cheap labor, yeah, and. Uh, 
And uh, and uh, generally, I can say that you know all the people are you know the people who are out of the camp are not uh, uh, free. Of course, they are under surveillance twenty four seven, and even the Chinese government sent party officials to the homes of the Uyghur people. Now, according to Chinese uh, 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 official announcement, uh, in last uh, two, three years, more than one million Han Chinese party cadres uh, visited uh, Uyghur homes or lived with the Uyghur, uh, Uyghur uh, people. You know, in some cases, the men are already taken to the uh, concentration camps, and women's uh, women alone in the in the house. And uh, a party official lived in that home for several months to monitor. They are not uh, only using the most uh, advanced uh, surveillance technology to surveil the Uyghur Uyghurs movement, but they also put you know party cadres in the Uyghur homes to monitor uh, uh, Uyghurs in their own homes. You know, this is now, so therefore it is, uh, an, uh, maybe the people uh, outside the camp are uh, not in the camp, but uh, actually they are under uh, the surveillance, under the control, and so they are, not, they are also not free to do anything. Yeah. So, so uh, it doesn't matter. You are in the camp. You are uh, maybe you are not beaten. You are not uh, uh, hum uh, humiliated. So th this is one of the uh, things that they they do in the camp. They beat you and they humiliate you. And they say, "Oh, you are, uh, you know, they tell, uh, they call you them uh, with you know a uh, very bad uh, words that you know uh, humiliate uh, to humiliate you." Uh, to uh, to uh, force you to uh, to resist or say something, you know, and then if you say something, then you are dead. This is uh, so they are trying to, you know, to to just crush the the uh, moral of the Uyghur people. So therefore, they are uh, doing this. So uh, and we don't know. Uh, as I said, one to three million people are in the camp. So we don't know uh, how many people are uh, died, how many people are alive, because nobody is able to get any information about them. So hundreds of thousands of people are there, uh, are, uh, have a lot of sicknesses, you know, and uh, diseases, heart disease, and uh, diabetes, uh, hundreds of thousands of them, but they are not being treated in the camp. You know, they they don't have that luxury. So they um, maybe hundreds of thousands of people already died. We don't know. So therefore, we uh, we cannot say how many uh, are alive, how many are dead. But the people uh, are outside the camp also are not very different, and they. Uh, they are always in fear that they will be taken to. And in the case of this party cadres, they can do anything in that home they want. Otherwise, they will uh, report to the uh, superior, to their superiors, that, oh, they are 
a uh, suspicious uh, uh, family. They are uh, maybe they are uh, praying, maybe they are uh, they have extreme idea, extremist idea, then gone. So therefore, they uh, they do whatever they want. They cook for them whatever they want. This these women. So this is very uh, a big humiliation, big humiliation for the Uyghur people. Now, what the Chinese government? Yeah, it is unbelievable what is happening. So it is. So therefore, the people uh, there are a lot of evidences now. So there are a lot of witnesses, research, uh, you know, researchers, uh, independent uh, reporting. So therefore, based on that evidences that uh, the some governments uh, received, and uh, uh, they call this. Uh, what the Chinese government uh, doing to the Uyghurs as genocide. First of all, U.S. government, U.S. State Department leveled the Chinese treatment of Uyghurs as genocide, and uh, parliament of uh, all seven countries also uh, uh, made that determination that this is what this, what's going on is uh, a genocide. So we are trying uh, to convince more uh, countries to, you know, to uh, label uh, what's uh, going on as genocide. That is the right termination, and uh, that's the right uh, definition, what's going on. Yeah, because it fits to all what's going on in our homeland, uh, what's going on, or what the Uyghurs are facing uh, in, in East Turkestan, uh, fits to all definition of genocide convention. Yeah. Separation of the families, kill, uh, killings, although there is, uh, uh, and also uh, destroying our culture, our uh, you know, uh, ethnicity, uh, to trying to destroy us as a ethnic, uh, distinct ethnic group. Yeah. I know. I know. We got to wrap this up, but um, first of all, I just want to thank you for sharing all of this information and and the work that you and your organization does, I think it's obviously extremely important. And the, the last thing I, I'd love to get your thoughts on is, you know, outside of telling the truth about what is going on over there, how do, how do you see a path forward? You know, what in your mind is the best case scenario? What gives you, if anything, hope or optimism about what can be done related to the situation? Yes, now it is. Uh, uh, we are uh, happy that more and more countries are now uh, joining in condemnation of the uh, uh, what the Chinese government is doing to the Uyghur people. And um, some, as I said, some countries started to level what the Chinese government doing to the Uyghur people as genocide. So we think that this will, you know, lead to a international coordination, uh, a coordinated, uh, coordinated action by the international community to put pressure on Chinese government to, uh, to stop this genocide. And uh, uh, we hope that will happen uh, because uh, this uh, forced labor issue was discussed in the, uh, during the G7 summit. So we would like to, you know, uh, also we would like to, you know, now it is uh, uh, 
it is not only a human rights violation, it's a genocide. Many countries already, you know, recognize this as genocide. So therefore, it should be discussed at the uh, UN uh, Security Council. And UN Security Council uh, should, you know, act to stop in uh, China from uh, continues uh, from, you know, this, uh, what, uh, this policy uh, against the Uyghur people. Yeah. Omar, thank you so much for doing this and thank for the you. time and for thank sharing all this information. I think I speak for a lot of people in wishing you the best of luck with a, an extraordinarily tragic situation. So um, I think uh, it has to start with telling the truth and you've done that. So I, I appreciate you having this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Keep Talking. If you are finding value in this podcast, please consider supporting the show on Patreon at patreon.com backslash keep talking podcast. I truly appreciate all of you who are supporting the show.